We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Our biggest takeaways from Sunday of week eight. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards for Gretsch. Find my uh, Stealing Signal Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find his Zero RB watch uh, at Rotoviz. And yeah, Sean, fun, fun week eight. Justin Fields did some things. I don't have to cry on the on the podcast this week. We're also going to be a little short today because uh, it is Halloween, and I'm going to take uh, the kiddos out trick-or-treating here in a minute. Yeah, so we have a special Halloween edition of Ceiling Bananas. I'm not sure that I understood exactly uh, the costumes that you were involved in. Ben has a, a whole drama set up here, I believe. I don't have I don't have little ones, so I'm, I'm not following it at all, but it seems pretty cool. And... So I've been a part of my kids' costumes for a couple of years now. Or not not every year, but a few years back, my youngest was a slice of pizza, and I was a hot dog. And so she always likes me to be part of it. So this year, they're uh, characters from the Sonic the Hedgehog video games. They're Tails and this Amy. And so my wife's going to be Sonic, and I'm going to be Dr. Eggman, who's the bad guy. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. Should be fun. Then we're going to make you the bad guy on the show today as well. Not really the bad guy, but we're pretty fired up. We Before the show, I was kind of joking about it. And then uh, vitriol from Ben's side over here. You know, part of this is just our bias. But uh, Jonathan Taylor may be the best player in the NFL. Unfortunately, today, he had a couple of long runs, a 30-yard run, I think about an 18-yard run, called back on penalties that would have given him a very big rushing line to go with the receptions that he had. But there were some more opportunities here. The Colts take a 14-0 lead. They completely shut down Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry doesn't even get a passing touchdown this weekend. And yet 
they still lose. Now, Ben, part of this is that A.J. Brown has looked like his 2020 self, completely unstoppable. Uh, on that touchdown, he gets pushed toward the out-of-bounds. You're going to have to hit A.J. Brown harder than that. He's too big, too fast. Uh, he beats the initial tackle, and then he beats the angle, which, I mean, you got a smaller defensive back thinks he's got the angle on and blows by that guy, scores the 57-yard touchdown. The Titans come roaring back, but a couple of fairly bizarre plays here. You get the interception from Carson Wentz that is a pick six, a really bizarre, unfortunate play there. But the thing that really stands out is the decision in overtime, throwing in triple coverage, and then a little bit of this was almost foreshadowed early in the game. Now, this was a fantastic performance for Michael Pittman. He gets the two touchdowns early. He converts a big third and 16 late. He's not one of the second-year receivers that we have a lot of on our teams. And he hasn't had a huge year, but he is emerging. He looks good yep. in an offense that you know has a little trouble you know, supporting these wide receivers because Carson Wentz is still – I mean, he's made huge step forward. I think that the Eagles in some ways probably <laughs> – are regretting the decision to move on from him. And at the same time, still some very bad plays. But this whole thing you could kind of almost see coming when on their first drive, they have like a third and seven inside the 15, I believe maybe even inside the 10. Jonathan Taylor takes the handoff. So they, they hand off on third and seven. He picks up eight yards, gives them the first down, and they're at the two, four consecutive pass plays. And the final one does result in a touchdown. So they do get what they're looking for. You know, we, we can't hold that against them too much. But it was almost like uh, this Wildcat situation late in the game where Taylor scores the TD that only something like that do they actually have confidence doing any sort of short yardage rushing play. But then in addition to that, they lose the game on a situation where Jonathan Taylor might have had a massive reception. Yeah, I mean, so they wind up with 51 pass attempts, only 20 carries, and Taylor is running the ball very well. You know, they they average 4.5 yards per pass attempt on those 51 pass attempts, and they average 4.2 per rush. I mean, Taylor himself averaged 4.4 per rush. You shouldn't typically be that close with your your per attempt passing and and rushing. You know, I'm all for being very pass heavy. That didn't make a lot of sense given they were playing from ahead for a large, large part of the game. And then especially you talk about getting into overtime, the decisions that they made. Uh, the, the pick six you referenced was just an absolute boneheaded move. The thing is, Wentz has played pretty well this year, and I keep hearing that. But the thing I, I just – like I, these boneheaded plays are the ones that are just sticking out to me where, you know, he throws that ball from his own end zone. I, I understand he probably would have taken a safety, but just throws it up into the middle of, you know, the, the, the line and Elijah Molden make, you know, makes a great play to come in and, and catch the ball and like basically right at the goal line and, and have this, you know, one yard pick six return for a touchdown. Um, but, you know, Wentz did similar last week. I know it was raining, but he tried to do that shovel pass up over the defender. It slipped out of his hand. It went down as a fumble. Um, he did it in like week one or week two. I can't remember if it was week one or week two against the Seahawks or the Rams, but they were near the, near the goal line. And he did a shovel pass to no one and a defensive lineman intercepted it. He kind of just floated it like right in the middle of where all of the linemen are standing, like right in the middle of the field, very similar to the pick six today. He's had these plays where like, just take the sack sometimes, you know, and he, he tries to throw it up and what are you doing kind of stuff? Well, even after the pick six, and it wasn't nearly as egregious a play, it was sort of apples and oranges, but he had another one of those sort of shovel passes as he's about to get sacked that, you know, as an optimist, you're like, Jonathan Taylor, catch it and go. 
But I mean, that one very easily could have been picked off as well. Yeah, there's just several. I mean, not maybe not several a game, but there's a couple a game where he's just trying to do too much, right? And so that's that's a major issue. But yeah, no, the the play in overtime, uh, you you referenced it to me right away, and I kind of went off a little because I had I had sent a few tweets about it and had some thoughts. But I mean, it's first and ten, and you're in overtime. You don't need to try to do too much, and and he throws into what ends up being essentially triple coverage. Uh, uh, Bayard comes down and makes the interception. He's trying to throw behind a linebacker who's trailing. I think it was Pittman. But the interesting thing about the linebacker, so I, I tweeted, I you know just immediately sent this tweet that was like, oh yeah, Jonathan Taylor was wide open in the middle of the field. And then I, you know, somebody sent the play, and so I quote tweeted that. And then Bill Barnwell sent out the, the little dots, and I thought that was awesome. So I ended up tweeting about that as well. But the the thing about the dots that they showed on the play, and you can find it on my Twitter timeline if you're that interested. In, interested in it all three of the linebackers immediately get a ton of depth on the play right and so when you're a quarterback what are you reading if you're not reading that all three of them wind up 10 yards behind where they were positioned there's no one coming to the middle of the field at all Jonathan Taylor literally literally like yards of separation is this stat I don't really use it a lot I don't think it's that great of a stat but he would have had like 15 yards of separation and we're talking about him running a five-yard curl behind the line of scrimmage like it's not it's it was ridiculous how wide open he was there's nobody anywhere near him and if you look at the dots it's it's fascinating the middle linebacker is the one that tr- that gets depth and then trails Pittman's over route and Wentz is trying to throw around that linebacker he gets it around the linebacker but the safety is playing deep and comes down and makes a play on it as well there's no reason for him to be throwing at that linebacker it is not that hard to make that read i mean i understand anyone listening to this people following my twitter or whatever probably like um, you th- well, you think you can do it? It's th- my point is like Drew Brees can do that immediately, right? He's probably the best ever at that, at, at getting down to the running back quickly. But so there are so many quarterbacks in the NFL who can make that read so quickly. All three of the linebackers drop. It's not there's no confusion in their uh, in their defensive scheme. There's no you know linebackers shifting underneath to pick up Taylor. They all got depth, and and he's just locked into Pittman or that, that second layer, he's trying to make a big play. And I, I'm always talking about quarterbacks being more vertical with their passing. I understand that, but it's first and 10, and your best player is Jonathan Taylor. The first play of the game, they came out, they threw a swing pass to him. He picks up 37 yards. It looks explosive. He's done a lot in the passing game. If he just makes this read on this first and 10 play in overtime and dumps the ball off to Taylor, Taylor had all sorts of room to run because the linebackers were also getting with where the other routes were. They were to the sideline. There was basically one safety 15, 20 yards downfield. The only person in the middle of the field to to really even do anything with Taylor. And if Taylor can make that guy miss, I mean, maybe he doesn't have the angle to go to the to the house, but he literally could have had a 50 yard gain, got you in field goal range, and set you up to win the game right there. And instead, Wentz is so locked into the throw he wanted to make that he puts Tennessee in field goal range by throwing just a uh, an easy interception ultimately. The safety easily got there uh and made the pick so anyway it was a frustrating play you brought it up and i i mean i'm frustrated as a a fantasy manager that like look that's a huge play for jonathan taylor i'm I'm frustrated for the colts too though like just throw that ball to him let him turn around and run he's he's your best player it's first and ten why are you trying to do too much you know yeah i mean if he throws that ball to taylor it's it was bizarre right because you're originally thinking well why is he throwing in a triple coverage but then as they show more angles you're like why is he throwing in the triple coverage when their best player? I mean, it would be impossible to, I mean, you could work all season 
and never get your best player that separated from the defense. We talk all the time about, and teams talk all the time about, oh, we just, you know, we want to get our best players in space. We want to get our running back in space. You know, we're going to manufacture some touches to this guy or that guy. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, most of those situations, there are going to be people around. And it's not just straightforward to get the ball to somebody in space. And the defense is trying to take those plays away. And it's one of the reasons why we actually still have running plays as opposed to just purely dump offs to running backs where they don't have to run through the line of scrimmage. But this play, like you said, from a reality perspective, you don't have to even have to bring it back to, you know, our personal investment in Taylor. The Colts, if they win this game, they're in great shape to make a push in the AFC South and in the overall AFC playoff picture. If he passes the ball to Taylor right there, they win the game. I mean, Taylor's going to take that ball for 30 yards. They're going to kick a field goal. They're going to win the game. And it's such a huge swing when you're talking about a two-game swing against the team leading your division. You get the tiebreaker element of the head-to-head there. I mean, you just you have to make that pass, right? The other part of it that's so maddening is why were they even throwing? I mean, it's first and 10. I believe that was their second possession of overtime, was it not? Or, or I know that the Titans had already had, already had the ball. Uh, it was. It, they, both teams had already punted. Uh, they went three and out right away, and I believe they 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 ran the ball on first and ten the time before, but then they threw through, punted, and then the next time they get the ball, they throw on first and ten, they throw on second and ten, they went scrambles for the first down, they get another first and ten, they throw on first and ten again, and I, again I'm always saying pass on early downs, all of these things, but you have Jonathan Taylor at a certain point. Like they they were able to to convert the, the set of downs on the previous series, but they weren't actually throwing effectively. Again, like they were four point five yards per attempt the entire game. They threw fifty one times. And, and if you're going to throw, like why is it not like that's the other part that's so maddening? It's not just that you have to read the linebackers, which is like again, it, it really is an easy read for an NFL quarterback. That's a that's a huge mistake to not see that. He's going to be sick when he sees the film and everything, and you feel bad for him. But like that is not a hard read. When every linebacker clears out and gets depth, you you can just go to the checkdown on first and ten. But it's not just that he doesn't read that. It's like what is the mindset of the entire team? They're calling a pass. They're not talking about how if this happens, we can just check down. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the Titans were dropping all their linebackers because they were aware that Wentz was being so aggressive that that essentially they didn't even need to worry about covering Taylor. It's just insanity. I mean, it's just insanity that they're not a, a little bit more aware of from a from a broad big picture team perspective a little bit more aware that if that pass is there if the linebackers get depth whatever maybe that's the first time they saw that look all game I don't know I wasn't watching that closely but like you have to be aware on first and 10 to just take the easy pass that's what I don't understand like that should have been right top of mind and you know again you and I talk a ton about throwing Right. I mean, you've got to pass the ball at the NFL level. You don't want all of these three and four yard gains. You don't want to set up a makeable third down. You want to avoid third downs completely. You know, so you're not going to find two people who are more in favor of passing than we are. And yet you also have to use your best players and the efficiency and the chance for big plays in the run with their Taylor is there. Right. I mean, talk about these plays that were called back. The 30 yard run that was called back was a phantom penalty. Right. The guy who was called just went crazy because, I mean, he had not committed a hold on that play. And so there are big chunks to be gained in the run game with Taylor. But the other thing is just in terms of being aware of him in the passing game, because you mentioned the play to start the game. They had the 54 receiving yards in the first half to him, really nothing in the second half. And I mean, 
I've mentioned multiple times, I kind of like the fact that they're avoiding a lot of these really low value rushes to him. I just, we want our guys to avoid injury so much that if you can avoid those plays that are not going to be worth anything fantasy wise and hurt you from a reality perspective, do that, avoid those plays. But you also have to have these plays scheme to get someone like Taylor. I mean, Taylor should have 80 yards receiving basically every game. I mean, he's that explosive and he works into what they want to do in the passing game so well. And especially now that they're not really using Hines. Now, Hines was out there on the field quite a bit on plays he didn't touch the ball in this game. But, I mean, the opportunities are there. It works for fantasy. It works for reality. You know, we want to see these big plays from Jonathan Taylor. Speaking of big plays and the run after the catch and the kind of play that Jonathan Taylor could have had in overtime, we saw some of that from the San Francisco 49ers in a game where they have a player now who is ahead of Jerry Rice's pace. Then after the break, we'll come back. We'll break down uh, this game where Debo Samuel blows up and Justin Fields shows what he can do without Matt Nagy. NFL football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find NFL tickets anymore. Because Tech Pick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. One of my bucket list items is certainly to head on over and see my Green Bay Packers over in Green Bay at Lambeau Field. I'm super excited to see how this season plays out for the Packers. Whether it's the Packers or any other team that you want to head and get in on the action this season and attend a game. Whether it's a home game for your favourite team or it's on the road, TickPick has you covered. Visit TickPick.com slash Rotoviz to save 10% on your first order. So if you're thinking of going to a game this season, don't wait. Head on over, get those tickets. That is techpick.com slash rotoviz. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So then Debo takes a wide receiver screen pass, breaks through a couple levels of the defense, gets clear. Uh, the defense sadly does not give up and they chase him down at the one yard line. This is one when it originally happened, I was pretty sure it was going to be overturned, which unfortunately it was. Uh, Debo is out there kind of in the middle of the field. Like, Debo, you, you, you misjudged your own angle. Like, don't go out of bounds. Like, make the guy tackle you. But one of the things they flashed up on the screen, over 800 yards receiving through the first seven games for the 49ers, better than the pace that Jerry Rice had in any of his seasons, the greatest wide receiver of all time. And every week he does it a little bit differently. And this week, again, he generates the big play. I mean, we're thinking about Debo as being one of these guys who can catch, run after the catch, but not necessarily 70, 80 yards every time after the catch, right? He also gets deep on a pass early. He's doing absolutely everything one of the things I thought, though, that was encouraging about this game is that it, if your offense is struggling to the point the 49ers have struggled in some of these games, the red zone opportunities decrease, the over, you know, your ability to sustain drives and even just have possession decreases. Jimmy Garoppolo, a couple of fluky rushing touchdowns, but he looked better today. And even though I don't think it's going to pop in the final stat line, I haven't had a chance to go back and look at all of these numbers. Brandon Ayuk finally looked like a part of the offense that was viable today. You think about Elijah Mitchell. This was the first game that he really looked fast, I thought. George Kittle will be coming back at some point. Uh, sort of a, a tale of two teams from a rookie QB perspective. Justin Fields looks fantastic in the loss for the Bears, but now Trey Lance looks like he might be glued to the bench for a while longer as Garoppolo plays well, and the 49ers are still going to push for the playoffs for a while longer. Yeah, Garoppolo with two rushing touchdowns. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny, kind of doing his best Trey Lance impression down in the red zone. Um, and I don't think either were sneaks. I remember at least one was like outside the tackle. I think they both were sort of rollouts, were they not? Well, the one was unclear to me. It probably was a design quarterback run, but I was hoping and I was frustrated by it almost looked like Debo mistimed coming through on a handoff or a little tip pass there to where he ended up having to stop and wait right in front of Garoppolo. The ball was snapped, and then instead of handing it to him or whatever, Garoppolo just takes off and runs, and, and Debo just kind of jogs behind him and holds his arms up like, yes, the play worked exactly how we designed it. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was interesting. Fields looked great. I mean, the, the big point I would make on Fields is not just that Nagy wasn't coaching. I mean, we, we can say whatever we want to say about that, but also Nagy wasn't there for – the some of the days of prep this week. I mean, it's sort of the the second layer of it that I would like to add. And the reason I say that is one of the things that I've emphasized a lot in Stealing Signals that I, I felt like was so bizarre about the way Fields has played over the last month plus is that in the preseason, he looked very loose. He looked very comfortable. He did not look like he was, well, like he did in the regular season where he looked tight. He looked like he was overthinking. I kept kind of 
trying to put it in different words, but essentially trying to say that it seems like he's being overcoached. Like he's being told he needs to do all these different things. He needs to be a drop back passer. He needs to release right at the back of his drop and all these things. Um, but when he's actually, you know, I, again, I go back to the preseason. He looked great. And today he looked like the preseason version. He looked a little bit more comfortable taking off and running. He runs for over 100 yards and a touchdown on 10 carries. In the preseason he had, I think, 90-something yards in the three games. Obviously they weren't full games. And he hasn't been anywhere near that in the regular season so far. And then passing the ball was very accurate, especially early. I think he was like 11 for 13 early on. A little bit uh, more inaccurate later. A couple of deep passes that got away from him a little bit. But even the interception late when they're trying to get back in the game hits Darnell Mooney in both hands. Mooney kind of mistimes the jump. I think jumped a little early. Still should have caught it probably. I mean, a really, really good pass in a situation where they had to get vertical. And he's double covered. And Fields puts it right between the defenders. I think Mooney should have made the play. It would have been a fantastic play. They, they, I mean, I don't think it would have helped them win or anything. I think they were down 10 at that point. Or they ended up losing by 11. So maybe it was 11 at that moment. But it goes off both of Mooney's hands. It goes for an interception. But other than that, Fields played very, very well. So, yeah, it, that was exciting to see. You, you guys know, any any of you frequent listeners know that I've been a little bit, a little bit tilted, so to speak, about Fields' play. But the thing with Debo that I want to emphasize, and you, you said it very well, I kind of want to step back and go big picture about like you talked about how well Debo's playing and I was doing it all these different ways and it's a fantastic, but big picture. I think he's the perfect example of something we talked about a lot in the off season. And it's, it's a difficult thing to describe. Um, it, it's kind of one of those tacit knowledge things to, to steal a phrase that I've stolen from Bales and other people and written about in, in the Substack, where, the, the biggest reason Debo was going where he was going in drafts was this concern about targets in the offense or volume in the offense because of Kittle and Ayuk. And will there be enough for all three mouths? And, you know, Trey Lance is going to take over eventually. They're going to run more. There's not going to be enough passing volume. There was a lot of concern around draft season that was less about what Debo Samuel is as a player and more about his situation and circumstances, all those things. And what we talk about all the time, Sean, is sometimes those situations where you have a really good player who's being devalued almost entirely because of his circumstances around him. Those are opportunities, frankly. Um, we, we feel like he has the ability to thrive if the general chaos, as we always say, of the NFL season breaks a certain way. That's not to say that any of us predicted that Brandon, Brandon Ayuk would be that bad. That's also been bad for some of our dynasty teams and other things, right? But what's happened with Brandon Ayuk, unpredictable, in the type of way that we see in NFL seasons every year. What's happened with Kittle getting injured again, an unpredictable thing, but there's an injury that opens things up. And what has happened is that Debo Samuel is their whole passing game. I mean, he has become an alpha where in the in the preseason, the whole concern was, will there be enough volume for everybody? Will Debo get enough work? Will he have you know the air yards roll, all of this stuff? And to a certain degree, you need to fade that. I mean, that matters. And we pay attention to that to a degree, certainly, what the offense might look like, all of these things. But especially at the uh, the draft cost of Debo, the reason he was such a good pick, the reason we were taking him so much, was that he has the talent to thrive if things did break his way a little bit in the season. And we didn't necessarily know how they could break his way. I mean, you could throw in the Raheem Mostert injury as well, kind of changing the look of the offense a little bit. Everything has broken in a way where Debo has been able to now – show his real ceiling but what you want is the is the player being good enough to to then be able to step into that and, and excel i mean we just talked about michael pittman everything I, I would argue has broken michael pittman's way and he's been very good but he's not been like debo samuel good and i think that's sort of the 
sort of the difference we're seeing in the talent. Like you kind of references, he's been great. He's, I mean, Pittman's been great, and it's not somebody that we're on a lot. I also don't feel like, like personally, I, I'm not that concerned that I don't have a ton of Michael Pittman. He's been very, very good. Again, I feel like I was wrong on that. I want to be clear. But there's a there's an element there where look, T.Y. Hilton's not been healthy. They're throwing way more than they should. Um, they're doing all these different things, and he's not necessarily. Um, he's seeing a lot of volume and he is dominating volume. He's doing some, some very good things. The flip side is like Debo Samuel is looking like one of the top five receivers in the NFL when the situation has broke well for him. And so I, I don't know. I just want to step back and emphasize that big picture point we talk about in draft season. It's sometimes hard to, to discuss in draft season. And this is a really good example in practice where we're seeing a guy where we, none of us could have predicted what's happened with Ayuk, Kittle, Mostert, the whole, the whole deal. But we did predict that Debo Samuel was very, very good. And and we knew that from his yards per out run, uh, both of his first two years and, and his college pro profile and all these other elements. And now that he's gotten that opportunity, he's been fantastic. He has been. And this also continues to kind of fit in with the idea that we emphasize. And we talked about it a lot on our projecting the 2022 first round show that we did last Friday that was a lot of fun. These guys who can really jump up in terms of where they're going to be drafted the following season based on the talent profile and continuing to buy and to chase the secondary breakout for players. And for Samuel, that was very inexpensive because his secondary breakout should have happened the previous season, but it was more or less completely wiped out by injuries. And so once you get the guy back healthy, you can see that secondary breakout and allow him to get up to where just he is in terms of an NFL receiver. That's very exciting to have that opportunity there. And then the other thing you mentioned, which I think can get lost a little bit, but is maybe the, the crucial aspect of it is price. And that every round that we go through, we're looking for the players who have the best chance to make this move and to beat the price. And so some of the guys that were not on this season who were doing well, it's not that we didn't think they could be good. It's that that sort of upside scenario that they're hitting was already priced in and some of the other guys that is not. And so the price element with the rest of those things that you're talking about very much went into the thesis for him. And there are going to be those opportunities again next season, right? So if you missed on Samuel this year, you know, don't feel like this was a one-time thing. You're going to get more opportunities. You want to just continue to follow this thesis through the seasons and you'll hit on them in 2022. Yeah, I, I completely agree. There'll be more opportunities. There were many more situations like that. We talked about the Bengals a ton. We love to talk about the Bengals and we'll probably check in with them here in just a minute, but uh, you know, Jamar Chase kind of consolidating. We didn't know T. Higgins would get hurt and kind of have a, a down start to his year. And we were on a lot of Higgins as well. But the point is, even when you, you can miss in these situations as well, but even when you can miss, you can you can find the players that are like the absolute league winners. And that's what we're looking for, right? We're not just looking for guys who beat ADP. That's something I harped on this offseason as well in the newsletter. We're looking for the absolute like uh, season-defining league-winning players you're going to have some misses as well. That's part of the reason we take so many receivers. That's part of the reason we build in that redundancy and look for these upside profiles, trying to hit on the ones that will be absolutely elite. And then if we can backfill the running back position a little bit, you can build a phenomenal, uh, a phenomenal roster, even though there is so much chaos. I mean, the, the big issue in August is that everyone thinks things are going to work out better than they do, and they don't. There's going to be misses. And, and so that's not to say there's not. You know, Ayuk is a miss in the same situation. T. Higgins is a miss in the same situation with the Bengals. But you want to be looking for these right types of players. And a lot of times the the, the cost equation, like you said, it, we get our best opportunities when 
there's too many mouths to feed, right? And you mentioned Higgins. It'll be interesting to see if he ends up being a miss or not. He has the big plays today. He had a scenario where he was tackled on the one, and whether or not he was actually tackled is still sort of an open question in my mind. We also had a deal today where uh, after the big weeks last week, Chase and Pitts did not exactly hit this week, and Chase gets another touchdown. I mean, he's he's a touchdown machine. He also drops a pretty easy one today, which is unfortunate because his overall uh, yardage and receiving volume was down. That second touchdown would have really wiped out a lot of those concerns. He had a play on the next drive where he had beaten this guy badly and was basically lassoed and, and hogtied to the ground after he had done that. Would have been wide open for the touchdown. That play ends up being a T. Higgins sort of drop-ish play. Um, and then you have a scenario where Joe Mixon is tackled at the one-inch line. So the opportunities for Burrow to have had a big game, they were there. The players didn't quite come through. Uh, so from a fantasy perspective, they didn't come, quite come through. But also, Ben, from a reality perspective, this is why you bury teams. Because what the Jets did today behind Mike White was really cool. Right? They, they battle early. They stay in early. Then they get a the couple of quick touchdowns late uh, off of really – I mean, Joe Burrow will make some bad plays. Everybody will make some bad plays. The interception that turned this game was a crazy defensive play. I think the defender deserves full credit for that play and that interception. Uh, but then you end up in this one with some bizarre officiating. Really, some more examples of maybe how the NFL needs to address some things here. I wanted to give a lot of praise to Keelan Cole, who had a non-catch that was maybe the most spectacular non-catch in NFL history. Uh, if you compare his touchdown that was wiped out to the Odell Beckham signature, like greatest catch of all time catch. I would argue that Coles might've been better, except it, it did get overturned on the next play. It was that good. Okay, oh like yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, one handed stab way back behind him. They rule that he, the ball gets loose and that he touches out of bounds before he has full control of it. Again, probably the right call, but sort of borderline. The funny thing is Braxton Berrios makes a fantastic catch-ish on the next play, but very clearly not a catch. So on the one play, they I mean, on two consecutive plays, they overturn one of the greatest catches ever, which probably was right. On the next play, they decide to not overturn a very obvious non-catch. Well, and, and that one, somebody on, on Twitter juxtaposed with the DJ Moore one, which I'm still mad about because DJ Moore not only got both feet down, he dragged his original foot again. And that's what they always say. You got to do two feet in a football move. If the third foot comes down, that's the football move. He clearly did that before he even started to go to the ground. Then he went to the ground and a knee hit. Then they were talking on the broadcast for some reason about whether him pulling the ball down towards his body constituted the football move. He had four different feet touch the ground or, or three feet and a knee. That was the longest catch that it was like the old Calvin Johnson plays that they changed the rule because of way after he's down on the ground, the ball comes loose. I mean, I, I had somebody else tweet at me as well. I, apparently he needs to take the ball all the way home with him after the game for the TD to count, which I mean, look, the ball came out. I understand the ball, the ball did jar loose. It wasn't as obvious as I'm saying, but that has been called a touchdown. 98% of the time in the NFL the last couple of years. I watch every freaking game. Like, that was a clear, clear touchdown. Very frustrated as, as somebody who has DJ Moore everywhere. And then the Berrios one is the flip side of that, where he never even had possession of the ball. 
And you're going to say that he had it long enough to have two feet in. If that's a touchdown, what Barrios did, the DJ Moore one was two touchdowns. Yeah, well, I haven't seen that DJ Moore play. So I'm going to go ahead and just add those points onto our – no, no, no. That was I, – I made the decision early on when it was ugly. And it was ugly the whole way. And unfortunately, Chuba did get after it, at least score some fantasy points. So I'm excited about that. We also have Chuba everywhere. It sounds like Christian McCaffrey will come back next week and hopefully do some things to set that offense on fire. But then, Ben, and, you know, again, this is something that kind of interests us as someone who's playing a ton of Bengals, including Joe Burrow and all the receivers here, but also just from a reality perspective, an important thing, on the third down at the end of the game, that would have turned the ball back over to the Bengals for a final drive to go for the win, to score fantasy points, what have you. A defensive back went in for a tackle at the knees, wrapped up, hit the guy, and was called for a penalty on that one in part because the offensive player puts his head down at the last second. So there is some contact there. This is maybe the worst call I've ever seen in an NFL football game. Yeah. That one got a lot of a play on Twitter. I'm sure you did not see that because you are not on Twitter, but it was atrocious. I mean, there was a lot of people saying that on Twitter as well. You have a lot of people that agree with you on that. I, I, I agree. I mean, there's no way the defensive back could have been, lower with his helmet without laying on the freaking ground he got as low as you can get there's no helmet to helmet. there's no leading with the head the other element was like the the running back i believe it was uh was it michael carter or was it ty johnson i don't know but he's going sort of laterally and the defender is sort of perpendicular to him he's moving his head toward the direction the running back's going in but he's trying to move it sort of away from the actual hit he was trying to kind of lead with his shoulder it, like there, w- there wouldn't have actually been contact with his helmet even to the guy's legs if not for the running back literally lowering his head down to his knees to make contact. I mean, it was how that was a helmet-to-helmet uh, penalty on the defense, and it was a, a key play, automatic first down, and helped the Jets ultimately you know, run the, run the rest of the game out and win the game, or, or did they go on and score or whatever? can't remember the exact situation, but... Yeah, they just have to sort of kneel down at that point. Well, they had to pick up another, another first down, which which they did. And, and big congratulations to the Jets. We've talked a lot about uh, Dan Campbell and how much he's done for the Lions, even in a winless cause. They did not show up today, but the Jets continue to play very hard. It's one of those things where if you're a Jets fan and you see how Mike White played today and you see how Elijah Moore looked, a lot of explosiveness from him, if you see how Keelan Cole looked, and some of these backup guys. And maybe you could say, well, you know, if, if Wilson had had these guys running some more routes in some of the games where he played, then maybe he would have looked better. But the contrast between Wilson and White, I mean, it's it's pretty striking there. The Bengals defenses look good. And and look, I don't I think it was evident to everyone. Robert Salas said in his post-game press conference, somebody asked him, is there a possibility that Mike White could be the long-term answer at the quarterback position? And I think he said something like, you know, anything's possible or it's not off the table or, you know, or something like even he acknowledged right away in the postgame press conference, like, look, this was a lot better quarterback play than we've been seeing. And so I completely agree there. One point I definitely want to make on the Jets real quick. I emphasized this in stealing signals last week, the high value touches. He White is someone who was clearly in, in his first uh, um, playing time opportunity, whatever last week, throwing to the running backs at a really high rate. I emphasized that last week. In this game, we have Michael Carter seeing 14 targets, catching nine passes. We have Ty Johnson seeing six, catching five for 71. He gets the TD. Carter has 95 receiving yards. The two of them combined for 20 targets, 14 catches, 166 receiving yards, and a TD. 
that is a gold mine. When, when I sit and look at, you know, high value touches, this is the stuff that gets me way too excited. Ty Johnson is now playable, I think, almost immediately, even as I haven't looked at the snaps and the routes and everything, but even as he's the clear number two, Michael Carter goes from almost, you know, no real value whatsoever prior to the buy to suddenly he was in 70% snap share last week, which was the other big element of it. And now he's in 70%, I assume, again, snap share, but in an offense that's going to generate double-digit high-value touches a week is what it looks like. Double-digit running back receptions a week is what is what we've now seen for two weeks. That is, I mean, Carter's suddenly very exciting in PPR. He is. And you think about, I mean, there are very big differences in their prospect profile for Michael Carter and Javante Williams. But you think about how good Williams has been in terms of at least his peripherals. And you think in terms of, even though they're different, that there are many times at North Carolina where Michael Carter would upstage Williams. And you've got to be excited if you're a Jets fan. The Jets talked all the time in the preseason about how they couldn't believe they were able to land Wilson, Elijah Moore, and Michael Carter. And through about six weeks, you know, the fans are probably like, I don't see what the big deal was there. <laughs> the other NFL teams probably aren't that disappointed that we got those guys. But now it's moving a lot more in that direction. And you mentioned the passing game and the way that this moves the ball. I mean, one of the things here is that the Jets did not run the ball a lot. But you can get touches to your running backs in ways that matter for both reality and fantasy if you deploy them this way. I also think it's been a positive, even though I've, I've liked Tevin Coleman since he came into the league. I, I mean, he's not been an impact player for a while. For him to have that hamstring injury, which has kind of given them an excuse to go to Carter and go to Johnson and not have to have this three-player committee. I just, you know, running backs get hurt. You don't want to get them overwhelmed. You don't want to have them worn down. You want fresh players. When you talk about football and how inconsistent – the playing element is to start with where you have the clock stop most of the time you have punts you have to wait for a half an hour to get the ball back sometimes to have to split between three guys i mean how are the running backs supposed to really get going in that environment so i really like having carter and johnson going here i missed that injury i thought that i thought he was a healthy scratch the last couple of weeks but he's been no i think that he has, a, has some sort of hamstring and that's kind of the the thing that popped up i didn't i, I don't think it's a huge part of what's going on there but it definitely gives them some cover to make. Well, I mean, I just was really excited about Carter. And so that our listeners don't go trade their first round pick to go get Michael Carter. Let's just be clear that if if Tevin Coleman is a little banged up and also because we don't know that White's going to be the long term starter. I mean, I, I'm very excited for Carter in the very near future. But if Wilson's back later, it could change. And Wilson, I think we, we saw from him is not going to throw to the running backs at a really high rate. And so at least for now, it's a very, very exciting stretch for these backs. And you should be starting him, I think. Definitely. And Ben, we have to let you go so you can pick up some – do you have a do you have a favorite candy bar here that you're hoping that uh... – I'm not a big uh, – I'm not a big candy guy. If if I – I'm not a big chocolate guy. My wife is uh, is more of a candy person. But if I was going to be a candy guy, it would, it would not be a candy bar. It would be more like, uh, you know, sour gummies, some whatever, sour patch kids or something like that. Yes, one of the sideline reporters yesterday, I think, was definitely – proclaiming her love for the Sour Patch Kids. And I was thinking that is the way to go there. You get the sweet, you get the sour. Um, we do get a touchdown today from Stefan Diggs, but otherwise another kind of weird game there. Bill's defense comes through. They've got a good defense to uh, someone else who a little bit like Zach Wilson is looking like he may not be long for the Dolphins. Now the, you know, we record this and then, you know, things could change in a heartbeat, but it does now sound like Watson will stay put. 
The Dolphins have to be frustrated. Then I was frustrated because they put Devontae Parker back in. He catches all of these sort of meaningless passes and Jalen Waddell and Mike Kosicki, who have really been making this offense run, were de-emphasized today. I'm biased, but I don't think that's the way this offense is going to work. Yeah, and it, it really shouldn't. Waddle did get 12 targets, only four catches, 29 yards. I mean, maybe it was just, you know, less efficiency. We see that fluctuate. But certainly the last few weeks, it's been all Waddle and Gasicki, and they've both been very efficient as well. And so, uh, you know, whatever happened with, you know, inserting Parker, Gasicki only gets four targets. Parker gets 12. It was it was Waddle and Parker in this one. And, and Parker was fine, but... Uh, I agree. I mean, I think they their their passing game had been working. I mean, we're again we we are kind of biased. We have Waddle and Kasiki, but their passing game had been working pretty well, flowing through those guys. What well, I actually we we jumped away from the Jets Bengals. I had a, a whole bunch of thoughts on that game. I do want to mention on Higgins. Did you notice on his long reception he didn't actually catch it? Like he you've been mentioning that he hasn't been really making a lot of good plays on the ball. He had a drop in the end zone on a very catchable target that would have been a touchdown um you know defenders there i don't know if it really counts as a drop or what but it, it was a catchable play and then he caught the long one that really helped his day but they showed some replays that like the jets probably should have challenged it it kind of leaked out uh hit the ground he was just using the ground to help him to help him make the catch is that is that not part of what <laughs> yeah, yeah no, i think i think that's mostly fine as long as no one sees it but uh another non-catch in that game that that went down as a catch i'm still i'm still excited about higgins but um saw a little bit more of something that you had referenced i think last week that you know maybe he's just i don't know the, the volume's been there but there's just so many near misses right now but the, you got to think the touchdowns are going to come too he's getting these end zone targets i think he had at least two end zone targets the one was very catchable so that's been frustrating yeah he's been the clearest by low of any of the big time receivers yes. i still think that he's going to have a very very Good season. I was encouraged today, even though, uh, like you said, he had a, an end zone opportunity he could have made. I thought he went after the ball better today, even if there were still some issues on the catch there. And as the defensive attention you know, shifts more and more to chase, and there were just some really weird things that happened in this game. And as we were talking about with the 49ers, it's not going to always work out when you do have the three options like this. This was the game that uh, Tyler Boyd managers needed, where he bounces back a little bit and scores the nice touchdown there. So you're going to get some of those, but T Higgins. Yeah. Um, I kind of put that non-catch out of my mind because it counted. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the right way to do it. It, it was, it was a catch. That's what the scorebook says. All right, Ben, we got to let you go for the listeners. Buy or sell Stefan Diggs after today. Yeah, no, I, it was funny. You went from, uh, and maybe you meant to this, but you went from the sweet and sour candy to kind of the sweet and sour of his, uh, of his fantasy day, which was, you know, if it was if it was uh, an intentional transition, it was very well done. Um, it was it was subtle, but I liked it. It was yeah. I mean, not a lot of volume again. We see Beasley get thirteen targets. Frustrating. Well, because why would the defense cover him? <laughs> I mean, right, right. No one cares about Cole Beasley. I'm still very much buying Diggs. He did look a little bit like I don't know, not as spry today to me. Like uh, just not not as comfortable, even on his touchdown. I'll be interested to see sort of the, the the routes because just eyeballing it, there were a number of plays that he wasn't in on. And some of those ended up being very specific schemed plays where it wasn't going to be a multi-read type of play. It was either a dump off to the running back or even a running play, um, something odd like that. But 
you, you wonder if he's 100%. You wonder what's going on because, you know, both he and then to a lesser extent and a much less relevant extent, but Emmanuel Sanders wasn't involved today either. Yeah. And so two things I'd say with Diggs. One, it was it was not good today, but we, we do often talk about like when a player doesn't play well, but the offense also isn't playing the way that they want to play, that that's not necessarily like a bad sign. Like they, they probably want Diggs to be doing more. The Bills didn't look particularly great in the passing game today. And so – you know, they're going to probably try some things. And then the, the second thing I would say is I'm still going back to the Tennessee game. They just had a bye right before their bye, where he could have had three touchdowns and he didn't get to have that monster game. We'd feel a lot better about him if he did have a three touchdown game, but Allen missed him in the front of the end zone on a very short, easy touchdown. And then later he had the step on the deep ball that we talked about on the show where he was interfered with still potentially could have made the catch. Didn't he was kind of just a, calling for the flag during the play. But if Allen get, puts that one out there a little bit more, there's been some of these near misses. And I I, I think if, you know, I, I I tend to do this, I guess, in my head where I'm like, if, if he would have had a three touchdown game a couple of weeks ago, you know, I wouldn't care so much that he went five for 40 in a TD today. I'd be like, okay, good game today. Had the three touchdown game the last time out. We're on the right track. But because we didn't get that three TD game and then now this, I don't want to read into that too much. I, I still think he's a, a pretty much a screaming buy. Yeah, we believe in the talent for Diggs. The volume should be there. Man, it's it's weird, though, because last season you could watch any drive and feel comfortable that on any given play he would beat his defender easily. And it was almost like they needed to go to some other guys simply to keep other players involved and not have it be Stefan Diggs with 30 targets in a game. It does not feel that way this season. Uh, good luck to everybody on Monday night, and hopefully you're all set up because in your deep teams where you needed to see a running back option, you played Boston Scott or Jordan Howard and not Kenny Gainwell. Good luck to you on Monday night. Thanks for listening to this Halloween edition of Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you get signed up for Stealing Signals. You have more cool stuff for you tomorrow and Tuesday. We'll be back with you on Wednesday. So subscribe to the feed. You'll get that as soon as it drops. If you can leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. And we've had a lot of cool stuff on Rotoviz recently. You can get in there, play with some of the tools, see some of the DFS product. If you want to save, use the coupon code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. We'll see you guys soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.